Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians again this morning. And I am just so thankful for this passage. This passage really emphasizes two things. The power of the gospel and God's power to work in a person's heart. And those are two things that we have to have in our minds. It is something that gives us personal confidence and encouragement. No matter what we face in life, no matter what trials we go through, no matter what um, failures we see in our life, when we understand the gospel and we understand God's power, it is encouraging and it gives us confidence. The other thing, as we think through God's power and the power of the gospel, is it actually gives us a powerful ministry. When we understand how God works and we understand how God intends his word to be used, it makes us effective in ministry and in salvation. There are groups of believers who have been distracted and deceived by Satan. There are churches that have been distracted and deceived. And they think about things like, man, if you, if you tell people what God says, they won't want that. So let's change it. Let's soft sell it. Let's modify it so that nobody's offended. Let's come up with something attractive that will attract people. So let's do these things because, in a sense, they feel like, God, what you came up with isn't good enough. Let me help. And what ends up happening is as people do that, they actually disguise and hide the very thing that will bring people to salvation. And so for us, as we look at this passage, there is great personal benefit to thinking about what God says here. And there is great ministry benefit to thinking about this. Now, um, for, for you and I, I mean, I love the book of 1 Corinthians. And I love it because we are living um, real life. Life is messy. Life is challenging. And this is b- a book about real life gospel living. This isn't about the ideal life where everything just happens perfectly. This is about real people in a real world that struggle, that have problems, that have serious issues in their life and in their family and in their relationships. And the Apostle Paul writes to them, and, and so they've, he's heard about struggles in this church, and this church has actually written a letter to him saying, hey, we're having these problems, what do we do? And so Paul writes to correct some of the things that he's heard about, and then he writes to answer their questions. And one of the things that I love about this is as many problems as there are in this church, it is so encouraging because Paul delivers God's word to them. And when they hear it, they accept it, and they do something about it. I mean, that is so encouraging. One of the things I love about this church, um, often um, when preachers talk about the book of 1 Corinthians, They talk about the fact, oh, this was a terrible church, and oh, it was so difficult. In fact, I was thinking about uh, in uh, chapter 16, verse 12, um, I was thinking about how much Paul loves this church and how thankful he is for this church and how he's telling Apollos 
in, in chapter 16, verse 12, he tells Apollos, Apollos, you have to go to the church in Corinth. You've got to go. And he's urging him, and he's saying, they need you. You have to go. And, and Paul writes the end of 1 Corinthians as he's sending this letter off to them, and he just says, um, I strongly urged Apollos to visit you, but it was not at all his will to come. <laughs> so basically, Paul... The apostle is saying, Apollos, you got to go. And Apollos is like, I'm not going. And there are, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to chapter 16. But there are so many things about that um, that, that we can learn. But one of these, the things is that it was a challenging place to do ministry, but it was a place that Paul loved, that he was excited about, that he was encouraged about. Man, it was so inspiring when you went to the First Corinthian church, because when you looked at that church, when you read over this book and you hear about the problems in people's lives, when you understand the city that this Corinthian church was in, it is a miracle that these people are saved, that they're walking with God, and you look at the difficulties and challenges that they have in their life, and you're not surprised. You are amazed at God's goodness. And I just, before we jump into today's passage, I just want to encourage every single one of you, if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you, if you heard the gospel and you welcomed it and you received it, you, after you hear what we're going to see in our passage, you are going to be so overwhelmed by God's goodness in your life. Because when you see somebody who's trapped in some world of terrible sin and they come to Christ and then you see some other person who kind of was raised in a family that trained them to make good decisions and do good things and they've avoided all these uh, problems that can come in different areas of life and God saved these people that are kind of already really good people. Um, did you know that the miracle of salvation is equally needed and it's equally as much a miracle for anyone who comes to know Christ. It's not just people that, not just the homeless guy in the street. Man, it is a miracle when God saves the whole homeless guy in the street. It is a miracle when God saves the professional athlete, when he saves the business owner. Salvation is a miracle that every person needs. And uh, so God saves us from different places, but they're all desperate places. So um, I was thinking about you know, there, there are times that people will go into um, like an inner city ministry or they'll be in some challenging place and they just feel like, man, the need here is so urgent. And then there's other people who when they go to places that are well off and it looks like everybody's life is okay and they have a sense that the ministry need is not as urgent. Uh, we need to have a spiritual urgency everywhere we go with every person that we meet I was thinking about Ukraine. So they have all kinds of problems. You guys have read all the news stories. You've heard about it, Ukraine, where they're just taking these guns and piling them at the end of the street. And they're saying to men, <laughs> men and women, and like the, the women and kids are fleeing. And some of the women are saying to their older kids, you take your little brothers and sisters and go. Me and dad, we're going to fight. So they're running to grab these guns at the end of the street, and they're heading off into battle. Man, there is this sense of urgency. And then I, I was watching this, this one uh, 
video where there's these combat medics that are here in the United States. And they, they like, there was one guy worked for the police department. And he just like called together everybody he knew. And he said, let's do a trip. They're all getting on a plane. They're flying over there to Ukraine. And they're going there to train these people how to do medical care. I watched this video of this guy that was a sniper in the, in the United States Army. And he's making a YouTube video to say, uh, for the Ukrainian people, it's like anybody could watch it. And he's just telling them, here's how you pick which room to go in. Don't go in the center of the building. Don't go off to the side. You need to go here. Don't go stick your gun out a window. You need to get in the back of the room and have a little hole. Like he's going through all the stuff on how to be a sniper because these people are out there fighting and they have no idea what they're doing. And in the same way, you and I, we are in a serious spiritual battle. And sometimes, like when we think about functioning in the church, going to a men's retreat, going to the women's retreat, when, when we're involved in ministry, it's not just for what we need. Sometimes we're like those medics who have been trained, and we need to go out into battle. So, like, if you're a man, you should sign up for the men's retreat because maybe you need help in your life. Or maybe you don't need help in your life. Well, okay, we all need help in our life. But... Maybe you feel like you don't need help in your life, but you want to know something? There's other people there who need your help. And so it is important that we are preparing for a spiritual battle. And this passage that we're going to look at today is a foundational element of how to use our greatest weapon. How do we use God's word? How do we present the gospel? How do we think about that in the lives of our kids? in the lives of people that we go to church with. This is a critical passage. And um, what's amazing to me, that when Paul looks at this Corinthian church and they're having all kinds of problems, he starts with theology. You know how people, there's so many doctrinal issues that people say, that's really controversial. You believe that, I believe this. It's really controversial, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect life. Like how we see God's choice versus man's choice. You know, that sometimes that gets labeled Calvinism and Arminianism. Oh, it doesn't really matter where you land on that. Well, <laughs> let me just throw something out there. Um, it does matter. What matters is not if you follow Calvin. Who cares about Calvin? I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful to somebody that God used. And the same thing with Arminianism. Who cares about those people? You want to know what matters, though? When you open up the Bible and when you read it, do you accept what God tells you in it? Or do you say, oh, these are, these are all acceptable things to believe. I'm going to pick the one I want. You know, that's actually not okay. If, if you hear somebody who teaches Calvinism and they teach things that contradict Scripture, you can't follow that. It doesn't matter how logical it is. It doesn't matter how well the system fits together. You can't believe that if what it says is different than Scripture. How about Arminianism? Yeah, maybe that just suits you and you just feel like, man, that's logical. It makes perfect sense. But if it disregards what Scripture says, you can't believe that. We don't go through life just picking to believe whatever the things we decide we want to believe. We're people who humbly open up God's Word. We read it. 
We think about what it's saying, and then we embrace that. And any time we depart from what God says, it results in disaster in our life. So all those people who say, oh, hey, we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. We might disagree about things and we love each other. But anybody who tells you that, oh, yeah, you can believe that, you can believe this, it's, it doesn't really impact life, that is wrong. We need to believe the truth because that impacts how we live. So let's look at this passage and then let's think about this. Here's the first thing that we're going to see is that the gospel powerfully accomplishes God's purpose. The gospel powerfully accomplishes God's purpose. I've always said this, um, when we come to church, we don't hide the gospel. We highlight it. We talk about worshiping God, glorifying God, the sinfulness of man, God's holiness. We don't hide any of those things. We highlight them because the gospel powerfully accomplishes God's purpose. Let's start reading in verse 17. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's why God put us all here, is to preach the gospel. And not words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Where is the power for the gospel. It is in the cross of Christ. It is not in eloquent words. And what I think is so sad is sometimes there are people who are so good with their speaking. They're so good at what they talk about. They're inspiring. They're encouraging. Have you ever heard somebody speak? And man, at the end of it, you're just like, that is amazing. <laughs> I watched a video the other day, and it was some Indian religious person who, you know, they, they have just really not Christian beliefs at all. And I'm listening to this wisdom, and there's all these people sitting at his feet, and I'm listening to him talk. I'm just thinking, man, that is really good. Like, as I was listening to it, I'm thinking, that is so encouraging. That is so helpful. Here is a non-Christian saying things that are moving and intellectually challenging and helpful. And there are people who are very talented, gifted speakers who get up, and when they talk, they can draw a crowd, they can move a crowd. Man, the things that they say are so helpful, but it's their words. It's not God's words. It may encourage a person, may help a person in their life, but it doesn't save anyone. And so this says, no, when Paul preaches, it is not words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross, this is this powerful thing that brings salvation. For the word of the cross is, full, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. You think about that? The message that God sends out is foolishness to some people, but it is powerful to others. 
You know, that's the amazing thing. We talked about that when we're going through the book of Matthew, and the sower goes out to sow, and he's throwing the seed. The seed is God's word. And as he throws it out, Jesus goes on and tells a story and just says the seed goes out. And sometimes the seed falls on the road, and the birds come and eat it. Nothing happens. Sometimes it falls in rocky soil where it springs up really fast, but then heat and everything just chokes it out. Sometimes it falls in the weedy soil where it looks like it's growing, but then the desire for riches and the worries of this life choke it out. And sometimes it falls on the good soil, and then it bears fruit. Sometimes a little bit of fruit, sometimes a lot of fruit. You know, when you look at the different responses to the gospel, none of it has anything to do with the gospel. It has to do with the condition of the heart that hears the gospel, right? And in this passage, it says sometimes people hear the gospel and it's foolishness. Other times people hear it and it's the power of God for salvation. So this is one of those areas where if you just read the Bible, you won't get confused. Because over and over, God sent prophets speaking his word. And sometimes people listened and sometimes people rejected. Let's just think about the book of Acts, right? The first like seven chapters of the book of Acts, Peter preaches and thousands of people get saved. A few chapters later, Stephen, this faithful man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of power, full of wisdom, he preaches. And if you read the sermons, they are so similar. They're both offensive. They both include the gospel. And when Peter preaches, thousands of people come to Christ. When Stephen preaches, people rush on him and they kill him. And so what we realize, see, there's some people that if you preach the truth and everybody gets saved, if you give a speech and a bunch of people come, they go, oh, that's wonderful. Let's do that. In fact, you can do church growth seminars where, um, by the way, nobody goes to small churches for church seminars. They all go to the big ones. It's like, what do you do to get all these people to come here? How, how, are, how is this all working out? And often people evaluate the success for our failure of ministry by how people are responding. Instead of thinking about the fact, are what they're, is what they're preaching true? Because sometimes you get a big crowd with the truth. Other times you get a big crowd with something that's not true. And so what it comes down to is, is God's word being faithfully taught? Because it says right here that God's powerful gospel message is foolish to people who are perishing, but to people who are being saved, it is God's power. And then he goes on in verse, uh, second half of verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, that's interesting. It's this quote (laughs) from Isaiah. (laughs) And this is one of those things we're supposed to read the whole Bible. You know, like when we read that, we're supposed to go back and think, okay, what is this story in Isaiah that Paul is bringing into the gospel? And I'll just say, as I was thinking about it, um, if, I was not, I'm not, if I wasn't the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit wasn't inspiring this, this is not a story I would have put in a, in a story about the gospel. 
um, this thing that's happening in Isaiah is Sennacherib, this king, is coming to destroy Israel. And as he comes in to attack and to destroy Israel, they're totally scared. They're like, man, this guy's like a killing machine. He has this massive army, and he's just mowing everybody down everywhere he goes. And they're like, we are in trouble. Let's go down to Egypt and see if we can get Pharaoh to come help us fight against Sennacherib. And God just says to them, no, you think through your wisdom and your plans that you're going to save yourself? It's not going to happen. Don't do it that way. God's going to save you in an amazing way. And so a few chapters later, Sennacherib shows up. And he just says, hey, I've been wiping everybody out. Their gods have not been able to help them. Your gods are not going to be able to help you. By the way, Israel, if Hezekiah tells you to trust your God, don't trust your God. Because he can't save you. I'm going to wipe you out. And then Hezekiah goes and he prays and he talks to Isaiah. And Isaiah's like, just relax. God's going to take care of this. Um, He'll be gone. So they all go to bed. They're stressed out. They're worried. And then they wake up and they go outside. And guess what? The whole army's dead. And uh, an angel goes and kills 185,000 people while they're all sleeping. And Sennacherib ends up going back home. And while he's in his temple worshiping his God, two of his sons go and kill him. And so what's, how, what does that Old Testament story about this battle have to do with salvation? It's because God is the one who is in control. God is powerful. Everything that God does works. It's not about us and our strategy and how we think we might accomplish things. It's about what did God say? And how do I trust him? And how do I obey him? And then he goes on in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? So those are the Greeks. They fancied themselves being wise. Where is the scribe? Those are the really intelligent Jewish people. Where is the debater of this age? That's like a summary statement. Give me the best Greek and the most intelligent Jewish person. Where are you guys? None of your wisdom matters. Has not God made the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God the world did not come to know God through wisdom? It pleased God through the folly of what we pray, preach to save those who believe. See, the thing is that God saves people through his word, not human wisdom. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how sometimes we can gather up people with PhDs that are so intelligent, they think they know everything, they think they're so smart? And they'll say, no, what the Bible says isn't true. They contradict things in Scripture. They feel like I'm intellectually superior. And sometimes we feel intimidated in those kind of environments. And God just says, no, people don't find God through wisdom. They find God through the gospel and through God's power. So here's something for you and I to remember is that um, God's word, look at Isaiah 55, 11, so my word shall be that which goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Did you know that sometimes when we share the gospel and present the gospel, God's intention is salvation? That's like Peter and Acts, right? 
God saves thousands of people. Sometimes when God sends out his word, it is to bring judgment and accountability on the people who hear it and reject it. I had this friend of mine, when I was young in ministry, he used to say to, he'd speak to big, massive crowds of youth people, you know, thousands of youth. And he would say, you know, I'm preaching, I'm telling you the gospel. For some of you, this is amazing. You might get saved, get to know God. For others of you, you're going to reject this. You're going to shake your fist in God's face. And for all of eternity, you will spend forever separated from God. And when you spend forever in hell, separated from God, under his wrath, you are going to remember today, the day that God presented a message to you, the day that you hardened your heart and you rejected it. See, God's word always accomplishes the purpose that for which he sends it. And sometimes that's accountability. Sometimes that's going to lead to judgment. And sometimes it's salvation. You know, we learn a little bit about that. Uh, Paul tells these Corinthians about this. He says this in 2 Corinthians 4.3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So that's Satan's work in the world is to distract people, to blind people so that they can't see the gospel. That's one of the things Satan does. You know what God does? God's the one who opens hearts, who allows hearts. Now here's the thing. Um, Often people, as they think about God's work in the world and God's work in people's hearts, they just feel like, man, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. I mean, if God's going to preach and people are going to hard-heartedly rebel and it's going to bring accountability, man, that's not right. But one of the things that we find out is that God has actually done a miracle in every single person's heart so that they know the truth. Did you know that? You ever met somebody who says, oh, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. What we find out is actually that's not true. The truth is everyone knows that there's a God, and they spend their life figuring out how to deny God. Did you know that? That is, by the way, not only the case of everybody else out there. Did you know that that was true of you? Look at this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This word where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's how he starts Romans. And then the very next thing he's going to talk about are people who reject the gospel. So he starts by saying the gospel is powerful. And then he's going to talk about people who reject it. Look what he says here in verse 18. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that has been made so that they are without excuse. God has put a knowledge of himself in everybody's heart. And people don't just like, it's not like, well, I just don't know. I can't know God. God has veiled the gospel from me. It's impossible for me to see it. No, God has showed the truth to every person and people sinfully suppress it. They reject it. They deny it. We, people, we have this idea that everybody's just objective. They're just waiting for evidence. Show them evidence and they'll believe it. No, it doesn't matter what evidence you show people. Spiritually speaking, they are corrupt. They will suppress it. They will deny it. That is the state of mankind. And they've clearly seen God in creation. That's the amazing thing. People with the least excuse to deny God, to deny the existence of God, are people who study creation. They see it most clearly. They see God's amazing power. They see these things, and yet... There are many people who would claim to be scientists who actually deny God. And they ignore any evidence that would lead them toward God. They twist any other evidence they find to give themselves a mental excuse to deny the existence of God. And so what we find out is that people's response to the gospel is not an intellectual one. It is a spiritual one. Look, Look what it says here in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, that's what Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians. When you present the gospel to some people, it's foolishness. They know But they reject God, they suppress the truth, and therefore what God says is foolishness. It's a moral problem. But to people, when God is working in their heart, it is the power of God. Let's look at the second thing that we see here. It is God's work through the gospel message that saves. You know, this is so critical for you and I in our ministry As we think about what we're doing as parents, as we think about how we care for people, it is so important that we know that God works through his message to save people. That's the most important thing that we can do is preach the message. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. It says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. So they, Jews want signs, Greeks want wisdom. So let me just ask you, should we do a survey? Should we find out what people want and then should we give that to them? Well, what do you guys want? I want a church that's like this. I want a church that preaches like this. I, I kind of want this. Should, when we're talking to our friends, should we think, well, I don't know, what would be acceptable to them? 
Like, like what, are, what are some things I could tell them that wouldn't offend them? Well, what are, how, could I, how could I tweak the message for them? You know, Jews want signs. Okay, give the Jews signs. How can we give them signs? Oh, the Greeks? Yeah, the Greeks want wisdom, so let's give them wisdom. See, for the, the Jews and the Greeks, they feel like they are the judge. Like the world is their courtroom. I only believe and accept signs. So talk to me. Bring signs before me. And I will tell you if these signs are sufficient. Or the Greeks, no, I I want wisdom. Bring your wisdom into my courtroom where I am the judge. Bring God before me. God, perform. Give me signs. Give me wisdom. Let's see if what you have to say is acceptable to me. See, people view the world that way. And what's sad is often Christians feel like they are in the courtroom of the Greeks and the wisdom, or the Greeks or the Jews. Do you want to know who the judge of the universe is? It is God. Um, God is not in anybody's courtroom. Everyone is in God's courtroom. And to start with, that's how we present the gospel. That is how we think about life. That is how we think about people. I'm not here to perform and to please you. I am here to please God. God does not bow before you or answer to you. You will answer to God. And so let's look at this. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Um, What does Paul do? He's like, no, God told me to preach the gospel. So I preach the gospel. You tell me you don't want the gospel, you're getting the gospel. You tell me you want something else instead, no, you're getting the gospel. I am preaching the gospel. And then look what he says, verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what makes the difference between a person who when they hear the gospel, they say this is foolish, or when they hear the gospel, it transforms their life. What makes the difference? Um, We're all given the truth. Every one of us has that. Um, The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So when Jesus died on the cross, the sacrifice, his sacrifice was enough for everybody. That There is nobody who will stand before God and say, well, God, you knew in the future who was going to be saved, so you only died for the people that you were going to choose. So there wasn't enough salvation for me. No. God provided salvation for every person. God, there's no way that I could have known you if you didn't call me. No, God says, no, actually, I told you about myself. I put my truth, myself, clearly in everybody's heart. And then God, multiple places in Scripture, says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Anybody looking for God finds him. So why don't people find God? He died for them. He put a knowledge of himself in their heart. 
He told them, if you look for me, you'll find me. Well, why don't people find him? Because they suppress the truth. They are hard-hearted toward God. They reject God. They spend their life trying to figure out how to deny God. But then what does God do? God intervenes, and he calls people. That, that's how Paul started this book. It's what he talked about in Romans. And God reaches into people's hearts, and he calls them. He, it's what God says about Lydia, right? She heard the gospel, and God opened her heart to believe. Did Lydia believe? Did she not want to, I don't want to believe, but God just made me? No. God opened up her heart, and then she believed. Um, and so when we, when we present the gospel, what we need to know about salvation is being a great philosopher, understanding how to make great arguments. Those things are all good. They're all beneficial. They're all helpful. That doesn't save people. What saves people is presenting the gospel. Let me talk about the practical element of that. You ever had somebody come to your door, a Jehovah Witness, a Mormon, somebody else trying to evangelize you, and you, have you ever been intimidated? Like, man, they've studied, and they know so much, and I don't really know how to respond. See, it is good for us to understand other religions. It is good for us to be students of people. It is good for us to think about what is your worldview? Where are you coming from? What is your life like? That Those things are all important. They're all helpful. But us knowing all those things, us being able to do and say all just the right things, that is not what saves people. What saves people is telling them the truth of the gospel. And even if somebody can out-argue you, when you speak the truth inside their heart, they know it. And God will use that. And sometimes when you speak the truth to people, they get saved. Other times when you speak the truth to people, they will hate you and they will reject the gospel. So we should expect that. We don't say, did I do the right thing? I don't know. They become a Christian. No. Okay, I must have done something wrong. No, we take a step back and we say, did I present the gospel? That is the power that changes people. The other thing that we do is that we pray that God will open hearts. Because if you preach, if you share the gospel and somebody comes to Christ... It's not because you did it right. It's not because you said it just perfectly. It is because God is powerful and he opened hearts. Now, doesn't that remove some pressure? When you think about people in your life, do you know anybody that you love and care about who is not walking with God? And it just, man, it's just like you're brokenhearted over it. You look at that and you just think, man, I want to see this different you're so concerned. You're so overwhelmed. You think, oh, man, maybe I should have did this or maybe I should have said that. It is never too late to just start and say, what does God say the truth is? What is the gospel? How do I tell them and how do I pray for them? And we have confidence that God is able to save. And sometimes it happens immediately. Do you want to know one of the things that happened for the apostle or for Stephen when he was preaching? Do you know who was in that crowd? When Stephen's preaching, and they all get together, and they stone Stephen, and they kill him, do you know who was standing in that crowd? The one who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. He's standing there, and he also hated Stephen. You know, he didn't pick up any rocks. He didn't throw them at Stephen. He didn't try to kill Stephen. But he stood there, 
And all the guys who were so mad that were stoning Stephen and killing him, they handed their coats to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul held all their coats. He stood there, and he watched them stoning Stephen. And when that happened, did he look at that and think, man, this is terrible. I can't believe these guys did this. Look at this guy, his broken body, crushed by rocks. Uh, was, was, was that the moment that God saved him? No. <laughs> you know what Paul did? He looked at this and he's like, yeah, I can't stand that guy. This looks like a good idea. I would like to do this to more people. And then he went and got letters and said, okay, um, I'm so inspired by how I saw them kill Stephen. I want to kill more people. You know, somebody could go and say, Stephen, dude, terrible message. People hated it. They wanted to kill you. And then the other people watching were inspired to go kill more Christians. You're, I'm just telling you, your message failed big time, right? And isn't that how we would evaluate that? And Paul's so inspired. He gets letters. He starts tormenting Christians. He starts trying to force them to blaspheme God. He's breathing murder toward Christians. He wants to kill them. And while he's on the road to Damascus to do this to more people, Jesus meets him. And he says, who is this? And Jesus says to Paul, I, he says to Saul, that was his name then, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And the Apostle Paul gets saved, and the Apostle Paul ends up writing the book we're reading, being an incredible tool in God's hand. See, that's the thing is sometimes we look at people, we look at people that we're brokenhearted over, we look at people that are around us that we care about and we feel like it's hopeless, there's nothing is going to help them, they've heard it before. We need to take a step back and we need to say, no, what is the gospel? I am going to share the gospel and I am going to pray because God saves people. And God has actually prepared every heart. And that doesn't mean that people won't suppress it, that they won't be hard-hearted, rebellious, rebellious against it, but God can change hearts. So what is the gospel? This is what Jesus says later in this book. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. You know, that is the gospel. And uh, there, there are people, this is Romans 10, Paul says this a little bit later, um, there are people who devalue the priority and the importance of sharing the gospel. I have, I have this one friend, and, and uh, he, he introduces himself as a Calvinist. It's like, it's not very often that you meet people who do that, but it's like, it's like when you meet him, it's like you cannot talk to him for five minutes. He doesn't say, I'm a Calvinist. Hi, my name's so-and-so, and I'm a Calvinist. And, um, and it was the most amazing thing. I was talking to him one day, and I said, do you ever share the gospel with people at work? And he said, no. I said, why not? He says, well, God's sovereign. He's going to save people if he's going to save them. So I don't need to say anything. If God's going to save him, he's going to save him. Salvation doesn't depend on me. It's a work of God in the heart. And that's one of those things where if you read the Bible, <laughs> you know that's not true. If you believe something 
that makes you think that you shouldn't share the gospel with people, that whether or not you share the gospel with people, that whether or not when you're sharing the gospel that you, if you think that whether or not you use your own wisdom or you use God's word, it doesn't matter, you're wrong. Um, You need to share the gospel. That's what saves people. You don't use your wisdom. That would be foolishness to say, I'm going to set aside what God says and do what I think is better. Or if you think that God just saves people apart from preaching, apart from evangelism, that's not what the Bible says. Look at this in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? If you call out for God, he'll save you. God will save anybody who calls out on him. Verse 14 How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So how are you going to call on somebody if you don't believe in them? And how are you to believe in him whom you have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God doesn't say sit at home Come up with your own stuff. Imagine what you think would help people get saved, and I'll just do everything myself. That is not what God says. God says he saves, and he opens hearts through his message. But it's his message that comes out of your mouth. And everybody who is saved is saved by reading the Bible or by hearing the gospel preached. And so this whole idea that nothing that we do matters, that does not flow from Scripture. Thinking about the Apostle Paul, you know, one of the things that he says in 1 Corinthians 9, and we'll talk about this when we get there, but he says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. You know what Apostle Paul says? He doesn't say, I could be a jerk to as many people as I want. It doesn't matter. I can really emphasize insignificant things and ignore the important things, and it's going to be fine. The Apostle Paul says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. I am willing to suffer anything, endure anything. If I walk into a Gentile's house, I will eat Gentile food because I care about them. I want to know them. I want to share the gospel with them so that they could be saved. If I'm in a Jewish house, I am going to act like a Jew. I'm not going to do things that are offensive to people. I am going to work really hard to love them, to care about them, to minister to them because it matters. You want to know what he's not going to do? You're not going to change the gospel message. That's actually the only thing that works. And if he's sharing the gospel message and somebody rejects it, that's an issue between them and God. That's not about me. When he shares the gospel and somebody, who, somebody accepts it, God opened their heart. That wasn't because I'm so amazing. See, the gospel, when we think about it rightly, it leads to humility on our part. It leads to us being humble, and it leads to us being faithful. And um, when you think about the Corinthians, <laughs> what were their big problems? They were prideful. They were unfaithful. 
Uh, they were not removing stumbling blocks from each other. They were placing stumbling blocks in front of each other. They were using their own wisdom. Like they thought, man, I was really struggling with sin, and God saved me. So when people come into the church and they call themselves Christians and they're struggling with sin, well, I'm not going to address that. I'm going to be really gracious and kind to them. They substituted what God said for what they thought would be better. And so Paul, it's amazing, is he's laying a foundation to resolve these issues in life. He points to the doctrines of salvation, and he says, you need to understand this so that you can be faithful and so that you can live in light of it. See, we need to be a church that is like Paul. All things to all men that we might by some means save some. We should be the most polite, the most gracious, the most welcoming people. We should be thoughtful about how we treat people and how we organize our ministry. Man, we should be very encouraging and helpful and loving and kind and accepting. But we need to make sure that we don't ever look at a person and say, well, actually, if I tell them what God says, they'll reject it. Or God has told me that I'm supposed to respond this way to this person, but I think that's a bad idea, so I'm not going to do it. We are people who are faithful to God. We realize that salvation is in his hands, and we do our best to make sure we're sharing the gospel, that we're being loving, that we're being faithful. And if we understand that, it's actually a foundation for everything else that we do in the Christian life. We pray for us. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. And God, I just ask that you would help us to be faithful to you. That we wouldn't be people that substitute our wisdom for yours. That we wouldn't be people who look for some system of doctrine and then pick the one that meets our preference and then ignore what you plainly say in scripture. God, help us to be people that study your word, that embrace your word, that believe your word, and that live out your word. God, help us not to label ourselves. Help us not to be judgmental toward other people. God, help us to be loving, gracious, faithful, and to preach the gospel. And God, as we think about these people that many of us have in our lives that we love, that we're brokenhearted over the sin that we see in their life, we're brokenhearted over their direction, we're brokenhearted over the fact that they don't love you and they don't walk with you. God, I pray that you would help us not to lose heart, that we would never give up, that we would never sink to ineffective strategies, but that we would be satisfied by talking with people, by praying for them, and by putting your word in front of them, in your name, amen.